This new young boy and Gates really slap. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Today we're going to be looking at the Memphis Grizzlies in their season preview and to talk about the Grizzlies I'm joined by the host of course of the Locked On Grizzlies Podcast and that is Peter Edmiston. Peter, welcome back to the show. Josh, how are you, bud? I'm, uh, I'm good. It's good to have you back on the show to talk about this Grizzlies team. They're a team with quite a few question marks, I believe, with some uh, some positions, some uh, some rotation battles, some uh, some new faces uh, that could provide some uh, interesting numbers for this season. So we're going to talk all about that today. But we'll start by looking at the projected record for this team. Vegas has the over-under at 33.5. You've gone over that at 37. This is a team that, of course, was hit pretty significantly with injuries last season. They return yeah, Mike Conley to that mix add in the number four overall draft pick. Is is that your hope, I guess, is that Conley is back and fully functional and ready to push this team? You're maybe looking for a playoff spot. You know, I, I mean, I think the, the Western Conference, Josh, is so tough. And I'm sure you, you've talked about it, you know, a lot over the last uh, few weeks. <clears throat> Once you get past the Warriors and the Rockets and the Jazz, and yeah, I think those, those are kind of the sure things. Uh, from about probably, you know, four through... 11, 12, even 13 is going to be pretty tight. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a little bit like last year where you saw uh, the Rockets and the Warriors clearly better. And then from three through eight, it was, you know, barely a game or two difference in all those teams. So I think it'll be very similar, you know, for the Grizzlies to really have a chance in a competitive West. Yeah. They're going to have to have a healthy Mike Conley. I mean, that's the, the number one thing, the far and away, the most important aspect uh, of any Grizzlies uh, season prep. If you start thinking about a healthy Mike Conley for, you know, let's say 70, 75 games, that's a team that is is going to be a much, much better group. I, you know, I'm not quite ready to say, Josh, they're a, you know going to be a playoff team, but I think they, they, they certainly will be competitive uh, in that Western Conference. will give a lot of teams a lot, of, a lot of trouble. Now, if you take Mike Conley out for, you know, 20, 25 games or more, then it's a whole different group. And I, I struggle to see without him – where they're going to be able to find much offense. Yeah, look, that that is, or oh, he is key. Look, he's uh, he's going to turn thirty-one soon, so he's not exactly young. But you know, last season was a weird one for Conley. We'll we'll, uh, we'll use that to transition onto talking about him. You've got him as the team's projected leading scorer. He is a guy that I think a lot of people have forgotten about just how good he can be. I was able to get him in the sixties of a draft I did the other day. He is ranked thirty-six on Yahoo, but people have this real concern about his injury. Peter, can you give us some sort of insight into a exactly what the injury was? Because the diagnosis seemed to shift quite a bit during the season and where Conley is with that injury at the moment and how much of a chance there is of it being a chronic problem? Yeah, I think those are all good questions. Um, you know, in terms of the injury, you know, he, he's had a few different foot injuries o- over the course of the, his career. Uh, this most recent one was a, 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 it ended up, it was a sore Achilles, but it was really more of a heel injury that manifested itself as a sore Achilles. And um, there's no, at least it doesn't appear the, that there was any structural damage uh, to the actual Achilles itself, uh, which is good news. Um, and, and so, 
you know, he had a, he had a little bit of surgery to clean some things up there. And, and really the biggest issue was just rest and getting himself back in, into, you know, getting his foot kind of back on track. Um, he probably could have pushed it at times last year. I mean, if the Grizzlies had been much, much better, there is, I think, much more of a chance that he would have played. But given the, the nature of the season last year, um, you know, it's it was no point in even trying. Much better for him to get the rest. The guy has played banged up throughout most of his career. I'm sure you've followed it very closely, Josh, and, and I'm sure the listeners who have followed Mike Conley's career closely will know. You know, it's just every season it's something with him. And it's usually three or four or five or six little somethings that end up adding up. He's undersized. He plays a position where, um, you know, he gets a lot of contact. He drives the basket. He's pretty fearless. Um, so he's going to absorb a lot of contact. And he's just not – he's never been able to really play 80, 81, 82 games. That's, that's just not him. Um, so if I'm projecting forward, I mean, that's kind of why I said the first answer, you know, 70 games. I, I just don't – I don't think it's really responsible as a fantasy owner or indeed as someone who's just projecting uh, for the season. It's just not responsible to, to really project any more than that. And that's probably a pretty optimistic look. Uh, everything I've heard, you know, I've spoken with Mike a few times. Um, I've certainly talked to people around him. Everything appears to be on track, but you know, until you actually see him in training camp, until you actually see him, in the preseason until you actually see him actually go through and do the things that you expect him to do. There's going to be skepticism and it's going to be understandable skepticism. I'm, I'm as skeptical as anybody, you know, you, you if you were a Grizzly fan, you remember the Chandler Parsons signing yeah. to see two summers ago where everything was on track. I mean, I remember talking to Chandler in July and that signing, Oh yeah, everything's great. You know, September, everything's great. Oh yeah. And then, and then just, it just kept being great until it wasn't. And it never was. So, you know, those are the memories that are kind of in, in the back of your head when you think about this team and when you think about kind of chronic injuries. You hope that Mike Conley, when he comes back, that he's able to put it behind him. If he is, I think he's going to have a spectacular season because the offense is going to be geared uh, largely around getting him opportunities. The games played thing, he played in 12 last season. The previous three seasons, he played 69, 56, and 70. So you're hardly a bastion of health. And I guess the part of the reason for him sliding is that. But also last year when he played, he struggled. He couldn't hit shots 38% from the field and just 31% from three. His assist numbers tumbled. His steal rate dropped. He was a guy that, you know, four or five years ago was getting two steals per game. He was only at one steal per game in 31 minutes. Of course, this is very, very, very limited in terms of sample size. He only played two, uh, 370 minutes last season but still all those numbers he was already a, a pain in the ass to own early in the season but some of that has to be attributed to the fact that he was dealing with all this soreness and I think that if he is back and if he is healthy he's going to have a chance to put up top 30 numbers on a per game basis it's all going to come down to your your appetite for risk and how much you think he's going to play in terms of games but I do agree that he will be the leading scorer on this team and he will take out that uh, if, if he is healthy he'll be able to take them a little bit higher than that overall over under that we see there from Vegas We've given the let me let me jump Go in ahead. for a second, Josh, just 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 to just to, to help you with it because last year I, w- I would take very little from those numbers. If you go yeah. actually to the game, like if you go to the actual game log from last year, uh, the first game the Grizzlies played Pelicans, I believe it was the opener. He was nine of fifteen from the field. Correct. He had a really good uh, outing and looked great. And for whatever reason, after that game, that's when his soreness, the Achilles, whatever, came back. And from from the the other eleven games. 
were when he really struggled. Uh, he was never even close to healthy. So I would I would take those numbers and basically throw them out. Uh, he, he tried to play through uh, in, in the beginning of the season uh, in a really painful situation. He, he said he just never even felt remotely healthy after that first game. So I, I would say that that sample not only isn't small, but it's really – if he's healthy, he, he will look nothing like that. He'll look much more like the 2017 – Mike Conley, if you look at that playoff series against the San Antonio Spurs, he averaged like 25, 7, and 7 or something crazy. Uh, he had you know almost a triple-double in game four, 35, 9, and 8 in that game. Uh, I don't know if he's going to put up anything quite that prolific over the course of a season, but he'll be closer to that than he was to last year's Mike Conley. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And even in those 12 games he played last season, he scored 20 points in six of them. So he still was able to put up pretty decent numbers at times, but of course it was waxing and waning. The efficiency did drop off at times. And I'm not worried about that. I am looking more at that 16-7 season in terms of production versus 17-18 for Mike Conley. We've spoken about his injury and his recovery. You've mentioned Chandler Parsons. I've got to do the obligatory Chandler Parsons injury update. Are we ever going to see him play? Like, what's, What are we ever going to get out of this guy? He played a little bit last year, had to be shut down again at the end of the season. Are we just in the point where A, when he's never going to be healthy and B, he might not even be part of the rotation this season? Uh, I think he'll be part of the rotation, Josh, but I, I don't I, I just don't think you can chalk him up for uh, anything remotely close to health. Um, you know, I, I think probably the optimistic look, you know, last year, if you he was when he played, he was significantly better. But, you know, that's not saying much because his first year of the Grizzlies was just a total injury plagued nightmare. His numbers were disgusting. Uh, it was uh, it was just a terrible first season. Last year, the numbers improved in terms of percentages, and uh, he looked more efficient. He had, a, he had a decent few games, but you know, I, I think part of it was that he was held out a little bit because of the, the tank last year, and also he just, he, again, was not healthy, and the Grizzlies are really cautious with him because uh, those knees just, he, they can't really take uh, back-to-backs they can't take a lot of action. Seems like they're, they're, he has swelling and some kind of a reaction you know, when he plays a significant amount of time. It's just it's been a problem for him for a while now. So, uh, to be quite honest with you, uh, if you get a thousand minutes out of Chandler Parsons, I think that's probably a, a bonus at this stage. I do think he'll play because the way the rotation is going to set up. You know, they are going to use him as a four primarily. Uh, I would think he played very little in the three uh, position. And he'll play a lot of that stretch four when he plays. And they've got lineups that that will take advantage of length and playmaking and shooting. And I think you'll see Kyle Anderson as kind of the fulcrum of those lineups, not to jump ahead too much. But uh, I think he'll kind of be the playmaker and they'll put four shooters around him in one of those shooters could well be Chandler Parsons. You could have a team full of 6'11 guys, 6'10 guys that have length, that can shoot it, that can make some plays. Uh, I think that's kind of going to be the way that they're going to have to roll with it this year. Yeah, look, he is, I think, going to play exclusively at the four. I think the, also the part of the problem is that Jaron Jackson and Jermichael Green are going to be logging heavy minutes at that position as well, as well as Kyle Anderson does have the ability to push up to the four. So I think that's going to limit him, which is good because he's not going to be able to play big minutes anyway. And I think we need to just write off any hope of him ever returning to any sort of large minute role at any point in his career. The other injury 
Peter in the Grizzlies at, at the moment is Javon Carter, who suffered a thumb injury. Uh, it looks at this point that he may miss maybe some time to begin the season, but with the signing of Shelvin Mack, he was uh, demoted to third string point guard and probably wouldn't be an every night uh, guy to begin the season at least. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Again, I, I don't know that I would make the assumption that the Shelvin Mack signing would have pushed him back. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the Grizzlies view Mac as more of an insurance policy slash good locker room guy. Um, you know, he, he worked in Orlando with Chad uh, Forcier, the new lead assistant coach for the Grizzlies. Uh, they like his basketball IQ. You know, they like his locker room presence. They're really going big on locker room presence, Josh. Um, that was part of the reason why they traded for Garrett Temple. Um, you know, they, they just had a pretty low basketball IQ group last year and, and not a bad group in the locker room, just not really a, uh, stellar group in terms of uh, character and hard work and all that stuff just was not a not really a, a great group. They recognize how gifted Jared Jackson Jr. could be, and they want to surround him with high IQ, high character guys to really push his development along. And part of that's the reason why Sheldon Mack was there. As far as Javon Carter is concerned, um, you know, historically, this injury, uh, the you know ligament tear in the thumb has not been one that has kept guys out for huge lengths of time. It's usually a six to eight week situation. Uh, he's already getting work in. And the fact that it's an upper extremity injury helps. You know, he can keep his um, he's got really good cardio to begin with. So he can keep his cardio at a high level. Uh, he can be in decent shape when he goes into training camp. He'll come back, I would think, at some point. Uh, late in the preseason, maybe early uh, in the uh, in the season, but uh, it will it will be affect his ability to kind of integrate with teammates. You know that that is not timing wise not ideal, but I don't think it's going to be a major uh, detraction. And I think you know, they they drafted him to to play. They drafted him to play right away. He's a four year college player, a guy that has a strong defensive pedigree. Two-time National Defensive Player of the Year in college, uh, Big uh, Big Twelve Player of the Year on multiple occasions, four-time All Big Twelve All Defensive Team. I mean, he's everything you can do defensively in college. The guy pretty much did. So, to me, they drafted him and they want to play him, and I think they will. And, and Shelvin Mack is not going to keep him out of the lineup if he's healthy. That's interesting. I, I thought that they it's, look his shooting was an issue uh, in summer league and, and in college. He's not the greatest of shooters. He's really, really strong defensively, as you mentioned, uh, and, and that's yeah obviously fits in with the the ethos of this team being yeah, aggressive at the ball defensively. And I think he can be that guy. It's going to be interesting to see how they, they do work that with uh, with Mack and uh, and also Andrew Harrison, who played quite a bit at point guard last season. They did um, have another guy who played some minutes at point guard last season, but just before recording this, the Grizzlies announced that they have waived Kobe Simmons, who was on a two-way deal. So you can, if those of you watching the video, his name is up on the graphic because he just got waived before uh, before we did this. But they do have another guy uh, on the two-way uh, two-way list at the moment, and that is Yuta Watanabe, uh, who played with the Nets in Summer League. The Grizzlies used their two-way spots yeah, fairly liberally last season. Where do you think that Watanabe can fit in, or is he just a guy that, again, assuming we don't have terrible injury problems, that they're just sort of you know, using to evaluate over the course of the season uh, with the hustle? Well, I think again, Watanabe, you know, fits some of the criteria that they're looking for. Um, you know, high character guy, a hard worker, length, uh, versatility. You know, he he was able to play 
a number of different positions and do a little playmaking at uh, George Washington. He's got a, a nifty little left-handed shot off the dribble. He's able to, to drive in, you know, at his size. They really look, you know, it's it's not rocket science, Josh. You know and I know the the league now is filled with a lot of interchangeable six seven to six ten guys uh, that can play two three four and uh, you'll be able to switch. And, and, and hopefully play make a little bit, get you know, play off the dribble. Those things, uh, if you have a number of those guys, it's kind of what the Warriors did years ago. They, they sort of cornered the market on getting those guys. And now the rest of the league, you look at teams like the Celtics and then that's, you know, you're just stockpiling that type of player. He's that type of player. Um, you know, he'll play the vast majority of his time in South Haven, Mississippi, just South of Memphis with the Memphis hustle, the G league team. But um, you know, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the geography of it, but that team is literally 10 minutes away from FedEx forum where the Grizzlies no, play. No, um, you no know, that, that's their arena. Now their arena is unbelievable is, is like, is a, yeah, it's, it's, it's an easy drive. And so the, the hustle players actually use the Grizzlies facility to practice, to, you know, go through all their stuff. They don't do it at the same time. The Grizzlies are there, but for two way guys, it makes it extremely easy for them to maximize all 45 of those days with the, the main roster because you can send guys up and down, you know, in, in 15 minutes uh, as opposed to taking a plane flight from the Grizzlies used to have a their G, uh, G League affiliate in, in Iowa and in Des Moines. And so Des Moines, Iowa is about a first of all, it's, there's no direct flight. Um, so you have to fly through multiple cities and it's probably at least a five to six hour trip. Uh, to get down there. So you really waste a day uh, of service time trying to get a guy down to Memphis or wherever the, the Grizzlies happen to be playing so much more efficient now with the hustle. And, and you're seeing a big, big benefit uh, in, in that regard with, with those guys. And Watanabe, I, I suspect we'll spend a fair bit of time uh, playing uh, with the Grizzlies, mostly with the hustle as most two way guys are, but they, they are pretty optimistic uh, long-term about, about what he can bring. And, you know, honestly, those two way slots, as you see with Kobe Simmons, um, you know it's fairly expendable. If you if you if it doesn't work out, no big deal. You cut the guy. It's not a major financial investment. Uh, and if it does work out, as it has with with certain guys in the past, then great. You, you convert them over and uh, you go on about your business. What an was interesting in uh, in summer league. Some really big defensive numbers: one point six blocks and zero point eight steals in only twenty four minutes per game. So that's obviously appealing to us from a fantasy point of view, and almost one and a half three. So if he's able to translate that at some point, that, that's obviously really interesting. So he'll be a name to watch there in that two way slot. As a breakout player, Peter, you've listed Marshawn Brooks, and I'm really interested to hear about Marshawn Brooks and how the Grizzlies are going to use him. Because at the way things stand, if Mike Conley's back, we've got him there. We've got Javon Carter and Shelvin Mack at that point guard role. We had Andrew Harrison play at the two and play at the one, and JB Bickerstaff really, really seemed to like what he brought defensively, and he took a massive step up. There's Dylan Brooks, who played yeah a ton as a rookie and was one of the Grizzlies' best players last season. He can play at that position, and then they've also brought in Garrett Temple, and I haven't even mentioned Wayne. Selden yet, who yeah, was perhaps the favorite to get that starting shooting guard job last season before that uh, quad tendon injury kept him out basically all year. So there are a ton of guys to play in this position. I'm not really even mentioning the three because Kyle Anderson's going to be penciled in at that spot. So how does Marshawn Brooks come into this area? He was excellent in the seven games he played. Actually, on a per-game basis, he was the 18th ranked fantasy player, 20 points per game, one and a half steals, three and a half assists on Absolutely insane percentages, 59% from three, 
That's not going to continue. But in China, he was a 40% plus three-point shooter, so he can be efficient. But where's he going to fit? Like, who is getting these roles at the two? Is it Brooks? Is it the other Brooks? Is it Harrison? Is it Temple? Is it Selden? There are just so many names to fit into that one real position that seems to be open in this starting lineup. Yeah, I, you know, from a fantasy perspective, Josh, I have no idea um, how that's going to shake out. And I think it'd be very tough. I mean, first of all, in general, when have you ever won a fantasy league with a grizzly shooting guard? I mean, that's like you that, that you never do that. I reckon, that's people, a bad idea. I reckon people won their leagues last year by picking up Marshawn Brooks off the waiver wire and getting for those last seven games. I reckon you won plenty of people leagues just for that insane. You know what? You know what? He might be the only one. Yeah, probably. That's true. He might be the only he might be the only one. Historically, um, you know, that's not been the, the greatest spot for efficiency other than steals. You know, Tony Allen can get you some steals right. and, and all that. But but you know, in your traditional shooting guard numbers. You're not going to find him in Memphis. Brooks might be different. I don't know. And I think Brooks' role, the reason I have it is with breakout players because, you know, we just don't know in the NBA. Those seven games were spectacular. But, uh, you know, I've talked to Grizzlies executives about this. And, you know, they seem very confident that based on the fact that a lot of those games were against playoff hopefuls um, and teams playing, in their estimation, hard, that those are legit numbers. You know, I, again, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, but I do know from a maturity standpoint, talking to Marshawn Brooks, you know, one of the things that, that that you get the luxury of doing covering a team is kind of talking to guys and getting to know them a little bit. And Brooks Wayne came into the league just, you know, as a first round pick back in uh, 11, was not mature, was not ready. And, um, you know, it took some guys, it takes some guys a little while to, to figure out how badly they want to play and how special it is to play in the NBA. You know, to go to China and play and to be far away from his son, to be far away from his family. Um, he played extremely well, but he, he he mentioned how much he missed uh, being around his family. It's a long way away. So to, to be able to get that second chance and he grabbed it with both hands, the opportunity that he was given last year, um, I think he'll do the same this year. And I think he'll be used in kind of that you know, Troy Daniels type of role of just go in there and just shoot. You know, I don't think he's going to have a tremendous amount of defensive responsibility. He's going to get the vast majority of his minutes against second unit guys. And he's going to have the greenest of green lights go in there and just shoot. And under those circumstances, I I think he's a, he's a, he's a tremendous shooter and uh, a really gifted scorer. You know, the Grizzlies do not really have other than, you know, Mike Conley, they don't really have a lot of guys who can go get their own shot, who can go get their own bucket, you know, in a late shot clock situation or in a particularly tough defensive situation. You know, Conley's got some capability of doing that, but they really don't have a whole lot of other guys. They've got a lot of guys that are going to be catch and shoot and within the context of the offense, but but Brooks can go get buckets. And uh, I think that's going to be very valuable and increasingly valuable as the season goes on. It's just going to be interesting to see how the minutes all break down. As I said, there's the two Brooks, there's Temple, there's Selden, and there's Harrison. Look, if he can push into 25 minutes per game and can keep up a decent level of efficiency, maybe you get two threes, 2.2 threes a game. Maybe you get 14 points in that bench roll. But 
there are those other guys, and not, not not one of them really stands out to me as as the guy that's going to come in and demand this playing time. It could be a case where it's on a night by night basis, or it could be just completely split down the middle, or someone could stand out. But there is, you know, these guys here who, who it gives you an opportunity. Maybe you take a flyer on them with a last pick if you're just looking for maybe someone, and they go, well, here's 30 minutes, and let's see what can happen. But just with that's five names who legitimately could stake a claim to say, well, I played well enough last year to have a, a role on this team in this position. Uh, the bigger staff is going to have to work out exactly what he needs to do and, and no one is really clearly separating themselves uh, at this point uh, from that position and we'll see how that goes over the preseason Peter yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't listen and, and I, I would say I, I really I don't think I don't think anybody including the coaching staff has an idea of how that's going to shake out yeah, it's, uh, there it's, are as you mentioned all those guys there, there's so many guys that are very similar so many guys that that have maybe you know uh, Garrett Temple is a, is a much steadier guy um, and he's very solid which could be helpful depending on lineups. Wayne Seldon, we really don't know because he hasn't been healthy and uh, he hasn't. You know, he's going to be pushed. Dylan Brooks is he the best at, as a two or is he better used uh, in a three role in a different situation? Uh, remains to be seen. The Grizzlies got a lot of they made a lot of hay out of Mike Conley at the two with uh, Andrew Harrison playing the one. You know, and th- those lineups were very big back in 16, 17. and I, I don't think they want to go too far away from those as well. I think Conley could see a fair bit of time as the two, even if he would be technically listed as a one. So uh, I, I really think, you know, preseason and training camp are going to be vital to figure out what these uh, lineups are actually going to look like. This, I reckon the shooting guard position in Memphis is probably the most confusing position in the entire NBA, just in terms of the amount of guys who could stake a claim to get that position that with the you know, four or five of them really you know, putting their hand up for minutes there. So that is something that we do have to pay some attention to. Now, of course, Peter, J.B. Bickerstaff is here full-time now as the coach after his interim stint last season. It's always hard for a guy coming in as an assistant to the head guy during the uh, during the season but is there anything that we think of from Bickerstaff that he may be looking to implement differently to what Fisdale had installed through training camp last season, or will it just be a little bit more of the same? We've heard you know, talk about them going back to more of a grit and grind mentality if Fisdale had sort of moved away marginally from that. Is that what we're looking at from a, a coaching style type of perspective from uh, from JB? Yeah, you know, I, I, it's hard to say because JB is – this is his first time to actually have a, a team – of his own. It's the first time he's ever had like an actual training camp. You know, he's been a head coach for more or less two full seasons, but under, you know, difficult circumstances, both times, um, you know, with the situation with Kevin McHale and his health and in Houston, and then, uh, you know, following up uh, a guy that, you know, David Fisdale, that, you know, JB was in his wedding. I mean, a good friend who he had to take over when he was fired. So now he actually is for the first time getting his own team, his own stamp on things. And, you know, so far what he has said is, you know, he's going to double down on, on the defensive side. And he, I don't know that he's going to shy away from the three-point shot. I don't think anyone can shy away from the three in this era. But I, I do think he's going to probably not emphasize it to the degree that David Fisdale did and that other guys have done. You know, I don't know that's a good thing, but I think that's going to be kind of his thing where he's going to – uh, probably try to make up those points via uh, driving to the basket, you know, getting to the foul line, more aggressive uh, techniques like that. He, def- he definitely wants the Grizzlies to be uh, the the knuckleball of the NBA, the way they were, you know, back in, in their grit and grind best era, the best time 
over, you know, between like 10, 11 through 13, 14, you know, when they were the toughest team, you know, maybe the toughest team in the regular season to prepare for because they were so different, so physical, uh, such a defensive team that you really, I mean, they beat great teams pretty regularly in that era because, you know, they were able to, to catch them off guard. You'll see some of that from JB Bickerstaff. Uh, the question is, can you win with that style now? You know, the league, even in the last four or five years, has gone so dramatically towards the three-point shot, towards more pace. You're seeing the rules changes implemented now with the shot clock resetting to 14 on offensive rebounds, meaning that you know there'll be even more possessions in a game. And in those scenarios, you know, unless you can on a per possession basis hold your own and knock down you know, that deficiency between your offense and your defense, then that's going to hurt the Grizzlies. And I don't think they can control the tempo the way they did in, in years past. So uh, I'm intrigued and I don't really know how far JB is going to go with this or how that's going to manifest itself. I don't think anybody does because I don't think you've really gotten a good feel for who JB Bickerstaff is as a true real head coach. We're not really going to know until we start watching this year's Grizzlies. The player you've got listed here as most likely to be traded for the Grizzlies is Jermichael Green. He had that a restricted free agency, not really holdout, but I guess a uh, yeah, delay in signing a contract last season. He came in as the starter. I think it's fair to say he wasn't at his best, played 28 minutes per night. I don't really view him as much of a high upside guy. He's already 28 years of age, and the Grizzlies, of course, drafted Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, let's we won't necessarily talk about the trade market of, of Green as much as where he's going to go or anything like that but what can we look at for for Jermichael this season do you think a he starts out the season as the starting power forward and I guess uh, you're tacking on to that do you think he plays significantly fewer minutes than the 28 he saw last year you know I I don't know and and that's a tough one because um, you know Jermichael Green he's been a good uh, very solid player certainly has exceeded what you would have expected from him you know, uh, as a guy who, you know, came out late draftee, um, you know, didn't have much going for him and, you know, was in the Spurs organization for a while, came over the Grizzlies and, um, you know, they, they, they kind of nurtured him and, and they, they found a, a decent player. Um, but I, I think he's, he's likely to be traded or at least the most likely of any Grizzly to be traded at this point because of his contract, you know, a little under $8 million last year of his deal. Uh, at an age where he's going to, uh, you know, he's, he's certainly, I'm not going to say he's, he's on the downside or anything like that, but I think you, whatever development you've seen, he was a late bloomer, uh, an old rookie. So I think you're, you're, you've pretty much got what you got with, with Jermichael Green. Uh, uh, personally, I don't think, I think they're going to start with Jared Jackson. I just think they, they know what they've got. And unless Jackson really falls on his face in, in training camp, I think it's, it's imperative that he get as much time as he can with those units, they may protect him for just a little short while, but I don't think it'll be very long at all before Jackson is, is the guy. And and as you've talked about earlier, there's so many other guys that can play that position that I think are better than Jermichael green, uh, or at least better from a development standpoint. And then from, from the standpoint of what you want your team to be, I think, you know, Jermichael's a good solid player, but, you know, does he give you consistent enough outside shooting? I don't really think so. Uh, you know, he's undersized in terms of you know being able to be physical. Um, he's not consistent with his offensive game, apart from you know the ability to 
uh, grab a few rebounds and do some dirty work and, and then hit some standstill threes. He's not really going to give you much more than that. Not really much of a playmaker, pretty low basketball IQ on top of that. Um, good hands can, can switch. That does help. But, uh, to me, there's not enough to really uh, get him in a position where he's going to beat out those guys for those minutes. So I would expect his minutes to decrease uh, unless he's traded. You know, I think there are teams out there that could look at his skill set and, and be able to see him as a steady guy that can really help boost their depth. And his contract is easy enough to trade. So I think that's probably why you'd see the Grizzlies be interested in something like that. But I, I just don't foresee um, – a big season at all for Jermichael Green. He's like a worse Taj Gibson. He's a strong rebounder. He yeah. doesn't offer anything in steals and blocks for a big man, like really, really low numbers. The percentages aren't fantastic for him. Yeah, strong rebounder, limited offense. He just doesn't do enough. He was the 162nd ranked player last year in his 28 minutes. For some reason, he's being got an average draft position of 134. That makes no sense. You shouldn't be going anywhere near him in 12 or 14 or probably even 16 team leagues with the arrival of Jaron Jackson. Peter, that is a good transition into Jaron Jackson, who the Grizzlies took at pick number four in the draft. I'm massive on Jackson. I thought he was the number two prospect in this draft. He came out, he lit things up in summer league, especially that first game. His ability to to hit the three was on show there, but it's his defensive stuff that's really impressive. One of the best defensive prospects to come out. And I've heard people say the best defensive prospect to come out since since Anthony Davis, blocking shots, being in position. With some offensive upside there as well, significant offensive upside. I think the Grizzlies have got a real star on their hands here. With Jaron Jackson, we don't expect him to be going out and playing 32 a night or anything like that straight away, but I think he's going to have enough value and play enough minutes this season to be a top 100 guy. Yahoo's got him ranked outside the top 120. I feel like he should be comfortably able to do that with a threes and blocks combination. Um you know, how impressed were you, or were you surprised, I guess, more with what he was able to do in summer league with that, uh, I guess, offensive uh, ability that he showed? Well, I mean, again, I, I was really a big proponent of Jaron Jackson Jr., still am, um, you know, and I, Luka Doncic was, you know, the guy that I would have, you know, probably had as number one on my, my draft board for the Grizzlies at four. Um, that didn't happen, but Jackson was like right there for me, um, because of what you discussed. I mean, there was, there's been no prospect in college basketball who has been able to shoot 35 or more percent from three, 75 or more percent from the free throw line and block three or more shots per game. It's never happened until Jaron Jackson. Um, and that combination showed itself in summer league. You know, he, he showed an ability to hit the outside shot. Uh, he showed the ability to hit his free throws. He, he certainly was able to block a ton of shots. Uh, I, I don't know that he's going to be you know, quite that prolific his first year out, and I agree with you in terms of the minutes. I think they're going to be pretty cautious uh, about overusing the guy, you know, particularly because he's, he's one of the younger rookies out there. He, he's not even uh, 19. He won't turn 19 until next month. So he's very, very young. Um, and they're very protective of him. And his dad is, you know, basically traveling with him, was traveling with him in Vegas and, you know, is kind of, uh, you know, just making sure that, that he, he stays, uh, you know, along the straight and narrow. And, you know, he's a young kid and he, he needs, he needs mentorship, but he's got a great attitude, great, great talker, which is vital. I mean, it, I talked to Marcus all so much last year and so many times, 
Mark would say, yeah, you know, we're not talking enough out there. Nobody's talking defensively. Uh, we're not communicating. You know, we uh, there's too many my bads. There's too many guys, you know, not getting the job done. And already at the age of 18, Josh, Jaron Jackson, if you watch him in summer league, he's out there talking. He's talking to his teammates, guys that aren't going to be in the league, but he's telling them, okay, here's what the, here's what's happening here. He's telling them what the coverages are on the pick and roll. He's getting, letting them know who's behind them. He's letting them know where they need to go. He's guiding guys. If you watch one of the, the games in summer league, he actually dissected the play call uh, on a sideline out of bounds late in the game, told uh, Deontay Davis where to go and point him in the right direction, broke up a play that ended up winning the Grizzlies a game. And this kid's 18. So, you those skills are vital. Coaches love that stuff, and uh, I think he's going to find himself, you know, playing more and more because he's going to make mistakes. But he's got such great athleticism. He's got such great defensive instinct, and he's got the right attitude that'll make up for all that stuff. So I think coaches, you know, they don't always love to play rookies, but I think it's going to be hard to keep this guy off the court. Yeah, and, and I'm always really cautious with looking at rookies and their fantasy production, but. If you're getting him at pick 120, just the ability, if he plays 26 minutes a night, he could very easily block two shots per game, and that's value enough right there. You've already touched on the fact that he can shoot from the free throw line. That's a positive. Yeah, If he knocks in the three per game, another addition there, yeah, get maybe a steal per game. And then I think there is something to say about you know, an ability to improve the playmaking and stuff. I think he's a top 25 guy at some point in the next four to five seasons, can really take that step forward. I'm massive on him. He's the second rookie, I believe, for, for Dynasty Leagues. I think he's a, a guy that's maybe the fourth or fifth best just on a, a seasonal basis for this season, but a, a pretty comfortable you know, talk, top 100 guy. And the thing is, Josh, when you talk about dynasty leagues, like here, so, you know, we had this discussion um, prior to the draft, but I, I, I really think if you project out guys' career, and let's just say hypothetically that we extend out 10 years and all of the top 10, 15 picks, whoever, go, go as far down as you want. Let's say everybody – has the best possible version of their career. So they are, they reach whatever their best potential is as a player. In that scenario, to me, Jaron Jackson's the best player of the bunch because the best version of Jaron Jackson is a 6'11, he's basically a, a Kevin Garnett uh, light, yeah. you know, pr- probably not quite as prolific as Garnett, but he's got great hands, would be. A huge shot blocker would be a great three-point shooter. Would be would be able to drive the ball to the basket. Would be a killer in transition. Would uh, do all those things that are like the number that are so important in today's NBA. Um, I, I just think even if you take you know Doncic as good as he could be, um, all those guys. If you if you just say the absolute best, if everyone reaches their potential. To me, Jaron Jackson is the best rookie in the class. Yeah, I can totally see that. If that offensive game and, and the ball handling stuff comes along, then he's really got that ability. And I think he's got a potential to be a multiple-time defensive player of the year uh, type of a guy. Now, if we talk about defensive players of the year, Marcus Sol is in your projected starting five, along with Mike Conley, Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, and Jaron Jackson Jr. Let's talk about Gasol, who was pretty solid last year. He, of course, is uh, 33 years old at the moment, was the 37th ranked player. He showed some signs of slipping, you know, some of a, a defensive slip, I guess, but the numbers were still pretty impressive. Do you think that we see with Jackson around now that maybe Gasol plays maybe one fuel minute, two fuel minutes per game? game for this coming season? You know, that's possible. Uh, again, it's going to depend on, you know, what they, how they want to bring Jackson along and what they want to emphasize with him. 
Um, you know, if it's up to Mark, he he won't. He, you know, Mark wants to play all the time. Oh yeah, he, uh, more look, he minutes. complained about it last season about you know. Oh, uh, he was pissed to... off. He was pissed off about any time he misses. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times they, they didn't even communicate, especially well with him that he was, and, and they would, you know, occasionally you know leave it to the last second to tell him he wasn't going to play to avoid confrontation stuff like that. Um, this year, I, I think will be a little bit different in that regard. Um, so you know, playing Jaron Jackson alongside of him will be interesting. But I think you'll see Mark's numbers increase. Again, I don't know that Mark is ever going to give you prolific individual defensive numbers. He certainly could could theoretically give you some good offensive numbers if he's in the mood to do so. Um, but you know, he he's he's his his value to the team is going to rise because he's going to be surrounded by smarter players, and, and Mark. He's I, I don't he's worked on it and he was better last year after the whole Fisdale nonsense and that craziness that happened. He was much more patient than he had been in years past, but he still doesn't suffer fools gladly. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't he's not really a guy that takes a lot of BS and a lot of like um, guys learning on the job. Yeah, that's not really his thing. He wants you to know what you're doing. He wants you to be able to be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. And this team should be much more capable of that, which in turn I think will make him much more productive. I don't know as a fantasy player if that means he's all of a sudden going to be you know, much higher up all of those numerical charts that he needs to be to be productive for you from a fantasy standpoint. But I think from an effectiveness standpoint, he's going to be a better player. I think he's bang on just exactly where he was last year in terms of overall value, that third round reliable center who probably projects better in a rotisserie guy versus head to head with an ability to contribute in points, threes, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, and be a good free throw shooter. Even though the field goal efficiency did drop from him last year, still contributing right across the board. But you did mention, Peter, uh, higher IQ players. And that brings me to the starting small forward for this team, Kyle Anderson, who the Grizzlies signed away from the San Antonio Spurs. I think Anderson and he's one of the biggest potential fantasy steals for this upcoming season. Um, he is going to slot into that starting small forward job. He you know, essentially replaced Kawhi Leonard last season, but still only saw 26 minutes per game in where he was a top 90 fantasy guy. I think that he will smash through that 27 minutes per game with Memphis and with his ability to block shots, get steals, rebound, assist, and if he can somehow get into a decent three-point shooter, he's ranked 112th on Yahoo. It makes absolutely zero sense. They're expecting him to be significantly worse than he was last year, which of course is probably not going to happen. I think he's got a chance to be a top 60, top 50-ish type of a guy. He is locked in at that position. He's going to, as you said earlier, handle the ball and run a lot of things through him. I expect pretty big things from Kyle Anderson, who a lot of people don't realize just how good this guy is. Yeah, I, I've been a big fan of his uh, for you know since he was you know, coming into the league, and, and I wanted the Grizzlies to draft him the year that he ended up going to the Spurs. Um, you know, they they really you know, they're really high on him, and he was their guy basically going into free agency. They really strategically they they knew that a lot of teams would have cap space this coming off season. So they felt like the best use of their uh, mid-level exception this year would be to try to go for a multi-year contract, knowing that they probably weren't going to be able to use much space in the coming years, at least certainly this year and probably next year as well. Um, so they felt like they should lock someone up and someone young and Anderson's 24, uh, a, a guy that has 
not really been able to consistently play until last year. And as you pointed out, was was really very productive in the minutes that he got. And uh, as his role kind of went up in an injury-plagued, weird year for the Spurs, you saw more and more of what he can do and the different things that he can do on a basketball court. And if you think of him – to me, it's more effective if you think of him as the point guard for the Grizzlies. I mean, he will he will play a great deal of point. And so if you think of him as the point and Mike Conley as the two, Dylan Brooks or Wayne Selden or whoever it ends up being, Garrett Temple as the three, quote unquote, um, and then you have, you know, Jaron Jackson, Marcus Gasol, all of a sudden you have Kyle Anderson, you have four shooters, you have ball movement, you have player movement. And Anderson in that system, I think, is going to blossom because you're not going to really need him to be a standstill shooter. Uh, he can shoot okay from time to time, but that's certainly not where he's going to give you his value. But as a guy who can work in transition, a guy who's a really crafty finisher around the basket in that bizarre, slow method of you know lulling guys to sleep and somehow using those long arms to get that ball into the basket – opening up space, opening up opportunities for other guys, um, I think that's going to really suit him. And then, as you mentioned, defensively, he's got tremendous value. I mean, he has a great knack for using his length beautifully. Great stealer uh, and and, and a really – crafty stealer you know he can pick your pocket from behind he can you know totally different angles sometimes than guys are used to seeing defensively same thing with the shot blocking uh, he can he can come at you from a totally different angle and it can really surprise you um i i don't know i to me i just think he's and the, and the, the other thing is they really have a lot of confidence in him they went out and got him and they got him for a reason they went they, this wasn't like a fallback option you know, they really envisioned getting him and using him. And so when you have a team and a coaching staff that is in that frame of mind, then yeah, he's going to play more minutes. And I think he has a great opportunity, as you say, to be uh, a, a steal for, for a lot of people out there. If you get him you know, relatively late, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to be out there and he's going to rack up numbers. He's going to rack up some unconventional numbers for his position. So uh, yeah, if I, if I were out there trying to kind of you know work on the edges of my team, uh, I think Kyle Anderson would be a very smart pickup. Dylan Brooks is the other guy you've got here projected as starting shooting guy. We've talked about already that the mess that is that position. Brooks played 29 minutes per game last season, but still finished outside the top 200. But over the second half or the last maybe six weeks of last season, he took on a, a really elevated role and started to put together some really, really strong performances. But still, he has to deal with uh, inefficiency concerns, not the greatest free throw shooter, um, you know, doesn't generate big defensive numbers, not a strong rebounder. And I fear that those big scoring outbursts that we were seeing from, uh, from Brooks, where he had you know, 28, 22, and 36 points in his last six games, and a couple of other 20-point performances through March, that he's just not going to get that level of usage with Conley back, with Gasol playing, with Jackson around, with Anderson. He's just not going to get exactly the same level of role. And I don't think that he is worth looking at as one of those late picks. Despite, even if he does start and play 30 minutes, I just don't think that that role we saw in March, April from Dylan Brooks is necessarily going to be something that continues on for the coming season. Yeah, I, I don't think... Um it's hard to say, uh, you know, with, with Dylan Brooks, unless he has improved uh, pretty dramatically. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I wouldn't be jumping out to, to grab him for my team. Um, I think he's 
he's a really smart player, but he's very much a third, fourth option. I mean, I think at this point in the career, you would look and say he's got that whiff of Courtney Lee about him where yeah. he's a he's a solid player to have, can certainly be a, a, a good defender potentially, uh, not going to take anything off the table, proverbially speaking, but kind of shot shy, uh, just okay in, in terms of that stuff. And I do think that that was a little bit of fool's gold late in the season. You're buoyed by a 37-point performance in the final game of the season uh, against Oklahoma City. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that was reality. Um, my my jury is still out on him as a, you know, from a fantasy option, I, I wouldn't be thrilled about him. You know, I think as a teammate and as a complimentary piece, I think he's very good. And I think he'll serve the Grizzlies well, and I think he'll have a good year. I definitely would not think that is going to apply to a good fantasy year, however. Look, you could look at that game against Detroit. He had 22 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, and two steals, and went 11 of 14 from the line. You go, bang, that's great. But it just seems, as you said, fool's goldish that he's not going to be playing in that sort of a role, and he's just not going to have that same sort of opportunity. So I'm not, I'm not in on Dylan Brooks by any stretch. The last guy, Peter, I do want to talk to you about is Ivan Rab, who, like Brooks, at the end of last season, started to look, you know, a, a lot better. Had in his last five games, 16 and 7, 12 and 11, 8 and 4, 14 and 8, and 12 and 13, with a couple of multi block performances in there um, with or if Jermichael Green does end up getting moved that might end up in more time for Rab he probably is again with Deontay Davis gone and Dakari Johnson unlikely to make the roster he probably is the the backup center unless we're going to uh, put Jackson there although he'll be starting at the fort were you I guess did you have any change of opinion on Rab given the way that he did start to come on towards the end of last season after a disappointing start to the year where he barely saw the court uh, you know, no, I, I, I just don't, I don't see much, uh, you know, from, from him. Um, I, I don't know what it is that he brings to the table with this group. Um, and, and especially at a very crowded position, you know, he's a little, he's undersized. He's got a nose for the ball. So he's kind of one of those instinctive rebounders, yep. but he's not very strong. So he'll he'll he kind of knows where he should be, but then he pretty easily gets bodied out of that position. So it's not really that useful of a skill. Uh, he has not really done anything in terms of shooting the ball to speak of, like you know, in terms of like an outside shot oh, you, you or something that. that would stretch the floor. Uh, so a guy that can't really do that and can't really physically ha- hold his own. I don't know what 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 can he do? You know, what, what how's he going to get on the floor? So that I just don't I don't see much from him uh, unless he takes a big jump and you know he's young enough to where maybe he could but at this stage I don't see much I'm still holding out a little bit of hope for Rab but yeah again the outside shot it needs to develop and it hasn't yet and we don't know if it ever will Peter uh, I think that will wrap it up for looking at this Grizzlies team some interesting guys there and that really really weird I get five person battle for the minutes at shooting guard uh, what's going on over on uh, Locked on Grizzlies what have you got happening at the moment well, right now, you know, we are getting set for the season. So, you know, it, it's a time of preparation as much as anything else. And uh, we got we got a lot of fun stuff coming your way uh, this year. And I, I, I'm excited about you know, some of the opportunities. I've been doing a lot more writing, um, you know, and, and covering the team more closely on a writing perspective, which has given me some different contacts. And I'm looking forward to using those for the year ahead. So uh, going to be good stuff, Josh, and I uh, appreciate you having me on. 
No problem, Peter. It's good to have you on. Go and check out Peter on Twitter. Go and follow him at the Locked On Grizzlies podcast as well. And subscribe to this one, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. Give it a thumbs up. Leave a comment. You know all the ways that you can help out. Peter, thank you once again. Thanks, Josh. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Ivan Rab.